As gun violence continues to ravage communities of color, the issue of ghost guns is becoming an increasingly pressing topic. Ghost guns are untraceable firearms that individuals can make using 3D technology or kits containing all parts necessary to assemble a gun without serial numbers or registration information. The risk caused by these weapons is especially concerning to communities of color, as they can be disproportionately affected by the increased presence of these weapons, undermining community policing and gun violence prevention efforts. In this episode of Badly Governed, Brandy Fluker Oakley and Assistant Professor of Psychology Brian T. Jones discuss the challenges of gun violence, but more precisely, ghost guns and the danger they represent to black communities. Brandy Fluker Oakley, Esquire, is state representative for the 12 Suffolk districts serving parts of Dorchester, Hyde Park, Mattapan, and Milton. She is the founder and president of the Lighting in God Ministry, a faithful member of her church, member of the Dorchester YMCA, life member of the NAACP, a practicing attorney and member of both the Massachusetts Black Lawyers Association and the Women's Bar Association. Wendy serves on the following committees, Transportation, Judiciary, Community Development and Small Business, Revenue, and she has also been appointed Vice Chair of the Racial Equity, Civil Rights and Inclusions Committee. She proudly serves on the Women's Caucus Executive Board as Treasurer. Brian T. Jones is a licensed mental health counselor with extensive expertise in psychoanalysis, counseling, and trauma therapy. He has practiced in both the United States and the UK. Brian is specialized in post-traumatic and complex trauma with extensive knowledge in attachment theory, acceptance commitment theory, and psychoanalytic therapy. Brian is the owner and clinical director of Reimagine Counseling, an assistant professor of psychology at Massachusetts Bay Community College. Uh, thank you both for actually joining the podcast. <laughs> um, today we are going to tackle a rather important issue, mm-hmm. um, and it's the issue of ghost guns as well as its uh, accessibility uh, on the market, both mm-hmm. online and other um, 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 spaces. Um, so to start with, um, um, represent, uh, um, rep, uh, Representative Oakley. Just say rep. rep. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, ghost guns have been a hot topic um, for a minute now. So, um, and in 2022, President Biden has expressed concerns and has taken steps to curve um, their availability on the market. Um, and also to try to kind of curve down um, gun violence um, across the country. Um, why are they just surfacing now? It doesn't appear to me as though uh, these products are just now emerging on the market. They've been on the market for some time. But why is it now that they are becoming an issue? 
That's a great question. And thank you for having me on today's episode. So I don't think it's now that they're becoming an issue. I think in light of all of the gun violence we have seen across the country, whether it's the nationwide uh, mass shootings, which statistically they say a mass shooting is if either four or five people are injured, they don't even have to die, but that is considered a mass shooting. Um, When we look at even some of the local gun Mm -hmm. violence that's happening, some of them are committed by what are called ghost guns. Mm-hmm. And that phrase, people are probably thinking, what the heck is a ghost, <laughs> is a ghost gun? Um, and uh, for those who aren't aware, so basically if you are a legal gun owner, you purchase your, your gun, it has like a um, license, it's registered, they're able to trace it. Ghost guns, on the other hand, sometimes they might have the serial number scratched out of where it used to be. Uh, Ghost guns, especially in light of technology, also have been cropping up because of 3D printers, where people Mm -hmm. can actually print certain pieces of a gun Mm -hmm. and then assemble it, and it's a firing machine, um, and that's not traceable whatsoever because it was literally printed uh, in a 3D manner. And then there are also these kits that people can buy on the internet that all also aren't serialized. So I think our technology is rapidly increasing. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's great for the good things we're able to do, like having a podcast to talk mm-hmm. about really important issues. Mm-hmm. And then in a lot of ways, it's actually really destructive, like the ability to 3D print a machine that can kill someone that mm-hmm. we have absolutely no record, no trace of where it come from and who owns it. Right. Well, thank you for this explanation. Mm-hmm. Would you like to add anything to this? Part? Yeah, I agree with the representative. And I think, um, you know, another you know part of that, too, is just seeing all of the guns that are being recovered by ATF. Um, now, I do know that there's a little bit of a culture that attempts to build their own guns and stuff like that as well, which, you know, has also been a thing for, let's say, the gun aficionado. Uh, But at the same time, that's not really what's happening. We're also seeing other people build guns that are for destructive purposes and stuff like that. So we want to make sure that we can kind of address this issue as it's not being used, especially for the appropriate purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, was that the intent of ghost guns? And it's okay if if you guys don't have an answer to this, because I don't know the answer either. But was that the (laughs) intent of ghost guns? Was it for gunsmiths to actually um, do their work? Um, And if Mm -hmm. so, why weren't there um, a mechanism for them to sort of uh, um, document the... um, these guns that they are selling off the market, because gunsmiths make guns, you know, they use it for their own personal use or for other uses. Hmm. But why wasn't there any sort of systems to sort of regulate um, what the guns that they're making at home or in their shops hmm. and selling or just making it available to other to their friends? I don't think so. I, I think we are. I mean, this this is my opinion, but I think we're talking about two different things. Right. Um, I think the gun aficionado, the person who will have their guns and want to build them, utilize, mm-hmm. you know, change the, you know, change different parts of the gun, you know, maybe make it a more rapid fire, use a, a five pound weight on the trigger versus a 10 pound weight or something like that. I think that is somebody who's actually interested in the mechanics mm-hmm. of the way a firearm would work. Versus a person who's just buying it off the internet, right? We're kind of having this DIY gun mm-hmm. program, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like IKEA furniture. And so when we bring that in to the mix and we're seeing them used for ill intent, I think that's where the problem starts to mm-hmm. come into play. Now, would those people have, typically have, if their state requires, typically have like a, a gun license? So there would be an issue, right? If they actually 
have one. Hmm. I mean, I, I think. I guess we're going to talk about regulation and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I think there's there needs to be some kind of registration for it mm-hmm. still. Um, okay. What that looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure yet. Okay. So <laughs> it, it seems like the basic mm-hmm. law enforcement has reported that there's been an increase in mm-hmm. recovering um, guns, ghost guns particularly, on different crime scenes uh, in Massachusetts for the past four years. So there seems to be... Um, there's there is definitely a need to get um guns off the street we know mm-hmm. that's very clear and out yeah. of our communities of color yeah. um that they've kind of like um over time across generations have suffered a lot of inequity in the sense that they're always mm-hmm. exposed to gun gun violence for mm-hmm. example as one of them so um do communities of color um, have cause to be concerned. Um, and considering the recent increases in gun um, um, violences or, or crime scenes that have, um, where ghost guns have been found here in Massachusetts, there, I think there's about 300 and, and plus, plus numbers this mm-hmm. year, this past year alone that have been recovered in crime scenes mm-hmm. uh, in black communities. Is the governor and Mayor Wu do you feel, and this is for you, Representative um, Oakley, do you feel that they are doing enough to curb down the violence, the weight of violence in um, black communities, black and brown communities? I myself don't feel like they have. Um, every day there's another um, crime committed in Dorchester, Hyde Park, mm-hmm. um, Wuxbury, it seems to become the norm these days where there's always some event, some shooting, random shooting, children are getting shot. So are our elected officials doing enough, especially in my community, like black communities and Latino communities? Yeah, so... The, there were four questions in there. So I'm going I'm to try to answer. Yeah, I'm going to try to answer each one. Um, and uh, Rep. Fluker Oakley uh, um, is my name, so you can just call me Rep. or Rep. Brandy or Brandy. Like it's all it's all. Thank good. you. Um, so there's there's a lot happening. Um, first, you are correct um, that black Americans in particular are in particular are 10 times more likely to die by a gun um, than a white Americans and children and teens are even more deeply impacted according to every town USA which is a mm-hmm. gun reform national uh, organization 71% of black adults or someone they know has experienced gun violence and so it definitely is is prevalent I think there are so many things at play. First, it is worth noting that Massachusetts as a state has done a lot on gun reform, Mm -hmm. still has some of the toughest gun reform laws across the entire nation. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've seen an increase in ghost guns since 2019. And because it is becoming more prevalent, it has been brought to the attention of not only our attorney general's office, but also the Massachusetts Mm -hmm. State Police as something that needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. to ensure that... um, folks who own ghost guns have the same 
precautions mm. as those who do, which I think we just have to find a way to penalize and get rid of them mm-hmm. <laughs> altogether. All, all um, given the fact that I, I don't know the origins of, of ghost guns, if they were just for gun aficionados or gun manufacturers, but it seems mm-hmm. like overwhelmingly they've been used for more nefarious acts mm-hmm. uh, and behavior as opposed to just my individual hobby or thing that I have mm-hmm. um, affection towards. Having said that, um, and I cannot speak for any other elected <laughs> elected official, mm-hmm. I have no doubt, and I would like to hope that particularly uh, Mayor Wu and Governor Healy, and even given her past experience as Attorney General of the state, care deeply about this issue and its impact. Mm-hmm. I also think it's the type of issue that people really don't know how to solve for, mm-hmm. because it's not just about, oh, we need to get these guns off the street. That is absolutely something that has to happen. But are we really dealing with the root cause of why does someone feel the need that they have to have a gun? And why is there such a disregard for life of another human being that mm-hmm. they would think that this is how I need to do business? Mm-hmm. And that all comes to a lack of investment mm-hmm. in our communities, which mm-hmm. has been happening yeah. since the beginning of time when we, as black people, were robbed from the nation of Africa and brought here to work as slaves, mm-hmm. built this nation up, slavery ended, then we had reconstruction, black people were thriving, Mm-hmm. building beautiful black wealth, black mm-hmm. communities. However, you can't legislate against hate. <laughs> and yeah. so we had the white mobs, white supremacy, Jim Crow, that basically eradicated the and decimated the thriving black community mm-hmm. in mass. Mm-hmm. There's always pockets. There's always you know someone on the margins um, who was able to, to thrive in that. And then we have litany of red lies, redlining. Mm-hmm. Um, we have after slavery was abolished, we abolished slavery. But if someone commits a crime, 13th Amendment. I hope y'all have already seen that documentary when it was on Netflix. And that actually codified our criminal legal system, which basically Mm. is legal slavery for black and brown people to work at low wages to Mm -hmm. do state labor. And so there's just a a bigger picture in in history here. I have a colleague who um, is a former district attorney Mm -hmm. and uh, was prosecuting a case of a young man who had absolutely no family, no community, was just like Mm -hmm. he and himself against the world had fallen through the cracks of any public education system, Mm -hmm. didn't have after school support, church community, extended family, none of that. So he's isolated a young man in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and he's searching for community. Mm -hmm. He finds community in a gang um, and gets involved in gang activities and then finds himself in this situation. Mm -hmm. That points to the lack of disinvestment. I know people talk about the safety net that we need to have Mm -hmm. as, as a community. And so the truth of the matter is we actually have to put real dollars and cents into black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is oftentimes when we do authorize dollars to go to black and brown communities, they aren't reaching the grassroots organizations that are doing the work Mm -hmm. um, to try to limit and eradicate gun violence. Oftentimes it'll go to the organization that has enough capacity to Mm -hmm. have a sophisticated development person who can write the perfect um, proposal that checks all the boxes that Mm -hmm. we know folks are looking for when they're applying. And so and all of that has kind of been baked in like the way our system is is designed. And I think there's just a, a lot of work that has to be done, not only in investing in our communities with real money, mm-hmm. but also making sure that the organizations who are doing the work are getting the resources they mm-hmm. need. 
Yeah, that's a very good point that yeah. you made because that's something I've experienced during, mm -hmm. um, throughout um, the advocacy work I try to do for my community. So, mm -hmm. Well, if only, you know, Haitian people had an organization that could handle this. And, well, why don't you invest in us then? Mm -hmm. Give That's us right. the money. Right. Help yeah. us build right. the organization that you want to see or that you want to work mm -hmm. with. So, um, you know, we don't often get that, but we get this, this uh, you know, um, sort of comment, which I have to be honest, mm -hmm. it infuriates me every time I hear. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it needs to go a little bit further than that, though. Yeah. Um, because... As a business owner, one thing, I, and I've worked in the, you know, I've worked in um, nonprofit organizations, for profit, and the one problem that I tend to find is sometimes nonprofits tend to be very, very, very unorganized. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes I think what we really need to is not just talk with our dollars, but talk with our knowledge. Mm -hmm. So within these communities, teaching people how to build their own own businesses. So, for example, you know, I grew up in Philly. Philly is still, to this day, one of the highest gun crime areas in the country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, you know, and my parents grew up. I had both of my parents. And so we had that family unit to kind of help raise my siblings. But the one thing I've noticed around there, even now when I go back and see it, there are... Every business that is in those communities mm -hmm. are not businesses that are bringing the money into that community. Right. And everybody that patronizes those businesses, they don't know how to run one on their own. And so the idea that we can just, you know, to, to give money to these, you know, these organizations, say go help people. Why not get people to help themselves? Mm -hmm. Get them education. The trades are dying. So... If we can start getting people into the trades, plumbers, electricians, stuff like that, getting them to be able to do things for themselves, we can we can have something there because mm -hmm. we build bigger communities, communities fund their own communities. And so we don't have to have people relying on these systems that we all agree have oppressed mm -hmm. to take them out of oppression. So I think that's where... I struggle a little bit because I, I, you know, I would want to invest into somebody to say, let me show you how to build a business plan together. Right. right? Whether we put this business plan together, then we're going to see how to get funding for this, either through a structured loan through the SBA or through some investors. After we get those investors, we are going to build this community so that those tax dollars are not going out into the suburbs, mm -hmm. but those tax dollars are staying in your community. And I see the same thing in Dorchester. I see the same thing in Roxbury. All of this money is just basically going out the window. Right. So that opens space up for crime. That opens space up for people that are bored mm -hmm. or people that are really hopeless, helpless. So I think what I got from this is that, you know, it's not just the, the investment, the dollars, but it's also the technical assistance that also is needed. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... I want to sort of mm -hmm. go back. I got to say something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I appreciate the point, the point, and I don't disagree. I also think that is a very privileged mindset. Yeah. And I think about the business owners, those who are black-owned businesses or non-black-owned businesses, mm -hmm. who are small businesses, and they're, they're doing okay, they're keeping afloat, <laughs> but they're struggling. Their top priority is to keep their business afloat. So mm -hmm. the city... 
the state, the feds, they all have technical assistance programs. However, they don't work for when someone has an immediate fire in front of them, while they know this Mm -hmm. is really important Mm -hmm. and a good training, they're going to deal with the immediate fire that's in front of them. And so I think it's just bigger than than that. Um, and I think we also have yeah. to keep in mind the history of systemic oppression in black and brown communities. So, for example, I was reading an article this morning in the Washington Post about a local uh, reparations activist. I filed a mm-hmm. bill. Senator, mm-hmm. Miranda, Senator Miranda filed the bill regarding reparations, and somehow the Washington Post kind of picked up on some of the reparations activism happening here. Mm-hmm. And the uh, activists they had interviewed shared the story how I think their fourth-generation Bostonian family came up from Mississippi, how they owned two storefronts in the 60s that were doing well and thriving, and that the city of Boston took them by eminent domain to build a highway. Mm-hmm. That is proof of, like, we are demolishing black wealth, and that is city government sanctioned Mm -hmm. also i remember uh, reading something recently that talked about when you go into black communities and you wonder why um so many of the the storefronts are um, owned and operated by people of asian descent asian descent because with the divide and conquer theology of white supremacy what uh so many lenders would do is not loan to black people so that they could buy the building or right. own the building but would loan yeah. to Asians right. to perpetuate the model minority uh, mm-hmm. stereotype that's out there. And so we know, and I do agree with you, that mm-hmm. when businesses are owned by folks in the community, they reinvest in that community. Mm-hmm. When you have business owners or landowners, as the case is, because so many of the storefronts mm-hmm. in our communities, the people who are in them are renting them. Very few of them actually own the entire building. Mm-hmm they aren't necessarily going to invest back in this community. They're going to invest in their community, wherever right. it is that they might mm-hmm. live. And so I I would never say it's an either-or approach. It's very much multi-pronged and multifaceted, and I think we have to be cognizant of the realities of people on the ground. So I hear people say, oh, well, we just have to give people more jobs, then they won't shoot. And I was like... There's this thing called healing, <laughs> right? Like it's 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 not just about uh, give it's, them employment. Yeah. And then when we look at the trades in particular, it's not even as if they get paid for the apprenticeship. So they're not paid during the apprenticeship, but they're trying to learn the skills. So that's about what, depending on the length of the apprenticeship, three mm-hmm, to nine mm-hmm. months of no income, no salary, they might have people that they have to take care of in addition to themselves. So I think there are just other like structural things for the things that are in place mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily yeah. allowing for our communities to thrive and for whatever reason might allow for others to go into life that involves having a gun for whatever reason, rightly yeah. or wrongly. Can I just pick up on something you said really quickly here? Sure, go Though, ahead. Um, because ultimately, and I'm one of those people, like I'm okay for joint partnerships and stuff like that between public and private um, sectors and stuff like that. One of the things that I often see, though, is that if we can get people educate it and even say, let's get the funding in there to pay for people to go that nine months to that apprenticeship. Let's let's pay people to do those things. Right. Um, I know when I was going to get my grad degree, it was awful trying to get, uh, you know, trying to work my internships, my externships. So I went two years and luckily I had a mentor at my school who saw me and he came to me one day and he says, you know, every day I see you, you have a cup of oatmeal, because that was my breakfast, cup of oatmeal, two bananas, and my my container of tea. Mm-hmm. And I would get there when the library opens up. I would sit there, and, you know, so Dr. Sold saw me, and he said, you know, I got a job for you. 
and you know it, I can't guarantee you anything but this you know at least if this goes well then possibly we can do a bid for something else and this man came in here and so he gave me that one job and I did a great job at it so then that led to another job that I could finish grad school with and make a decent salary right um so we do need sometimes those people that's going to come in and say like all right let me help you get through that point. But then at that point, you learn the technical skills that you need so you don't have to be relying on the system. That's where I'm coming back to what you said. When we look at the history of Jim Crow, we look at all this history, and how can people trust that same government that is that has done them wrong so many years? So what we want to do is depend on some self-reliance. And, you know, and that's where I see these, the, uh, the crime rates becoming so bad is because people are not self-reliant. So if there is no jobs, if there is no businesses, if there is no community being developed, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe we need, we need that investment, but we also need that de- independence of that free nation that we also talk about. Okay. All right. So... I'm mm-hmm. going to move on, okay. um, but it's still going to relate to um, some comments you made mm-hmm. um, previously okay. about um, how this, this, this issue is rather difficult to tackle, especially uh, Massachusetts um, here. Um, I sort of want to s- remind everyone mm-hmm. or mention to everybody that Massachusetts uh, is sort of like in between New York, Connecticut, and all those neighboring states here. So according to um, ever, every town research and policy, mm-hmm. only 11 states in the United States, and those states around Massachusetts are all included in these 11 states that have regulations against mm-hmm. ghost guns. Um, so this includes New York, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, Rhode Island. Why has Massachusetts yet to follow mm-hmm. suit uh, why has it been more challenging or more difficult for Massachusetts to actually um, make a dent in this space? I kind of feel like Massachusetts, Massachusetts itself is well positioned because we have very strong gun regulations here in the state. We also have a very low rate of mm-hmm. crime. Um, we do have the systems. Mm-hmm. If we really wanted to, Massachusetts is actually one of the states, I feel personally, who could actually block the sale of ghost guns online in the mm-hmm. state. Why haven't we done that? Yeah, so there are a few things at, at play here. Uh, again, I mentioned that our laws are always trying to catch up with the technology. Mm-hmm. Also, this new Supreme Court makes it hard to balance what it is that we are able to do at a state level. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, very recently, the House, the chair of judiciary, Michael Day, uh, with the support of the speaker, actually put together um, an omnibus gun bill. They did a whole statewide listening tour, went to, I think, um, there were 11 stops along the tour, but geographical to hear people's thoughts and concerns to try to get folks involved. I know there were conversations with the chiefs of police to try to figure out how we can 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 tackle this. Um, and I mentioned the Supreme Court because in the Bruin case, uh, they actually affirmed that there is a constitutional right to manufacture a gun at home. Mm-hmm. So that does yes. include ghost guns. So yeah. Supreme Court said it. Mm-hmm. We can't say, mm-hmm. oh, you can't <laughs> you can't do it. Yeah. Um, and in the omnibus legislation that was put forth, it actually enshrines that right that, yes, you do. We are affirming this constitutional right to manufacture a gun at home. Mm-hmm. 
We're just asking that the barrel and the receiver become serialized Mm -hmm. and that you register the firearm with your local state government so therefore we can trace it if in case it's used um, in in a crime. And so I think that's uh, important to name. We're trying to do something. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all have been paying attention, but there's been mm-hmm. a lot of pushback um, on this, this particular bill. I represent the blackest district in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, according to 2020 census data. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm hearing about this issue on both sides from my constituents within my district who are supportive of it and those who are not supportive of it. And so I think we just have to continue to hear all sides on this issue and try to move it forward and recognize that even though Massachusetts is often touted as being, you know, a heavily blue state or pretty progressive, like (laughs) we're not a monolith. (laughs) Um, Like we're just not a monolith. Black people are not a monolith, right? (laughs) Like there's always variances. And so when you're trying to make laws at the state level, and bringing everyone along, or at mm-hmm. least getting it to a good enough place where it accomplishes what we need it to accomplish, mm-hmm. but then folks will will vote to sign on. Like that's why we don't have dictatorships, right? Like right. if yeah. we're a democracy, mm-hmm. if there's a process involved. And um, for us in Massachusetts, we have embarked on that process literally in the last couple of weeks and trying to make our way through so we can be in that number of mm-hmm. neighboring states who. Um, are trying to do something to tackle ghost guns. Mm-hmm. It's also important to recognize where our guns are coming from. Mm-hmm. And they are coming, a good deal of them, from our neighboring states. So I also think that there there might be something that needs to happen around uh, agreements yeah. with our neighboring yeah, states, yeah. Yeah. like the, the gun <laughs> yeah. and traffic law, as they're coming in and out of the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So have we looked at what... Um, has been done in the states around us that actually have the, you know, ghost gun laws? Yes, I, I have no doubt that the judiciary team looked at neighboring states. They probably looked at states all across the nation. Every time Mm -hmm. uh, we do a bill and there's a state that's done it before us, Mm -hmm. the chair and staff of that committee look at what other states have done to try to inform what we can do here in the Commonwealth. Okay. So I do have another question about this, Mm -hmm. and this this is for both of you, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What would... um, You talk a little bit about the current bill, but do you think, is the current bill taking into account... Um, other aspect is it like impl- um, sort of like applying uh, like a health in all policy approach to it, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to individuals who are mentally ill? Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, is are these things that are incorporated in the law, or have they, the policymakers have even thought about to include in this law? Um, and also, how they're dealing with the whole issue of individuals that don't qualify for gun licenses that shouldn't be holding a gun. Mm-hmm. So how are they dealing with that issue as well? Yeah, so the bill is is om- all encompassing. That's why they call mm-hmm. it an omnibus oh. bill. Okay. So um it also provides for a commission to be created of a diverse body of stakeholders to assess where the state dollars that are allocated for uh, gun prevention and to protect against gun violence to make sure that they're going distributed equitably and going Mm -hmm. to the right places. Mm -hmm. Um, This particular piece of legislation um, also has a mental health component to it, as Mm -hmm. there are some people um, who are under, I think it's ERO, ERPO. I was like, there. I almost forgot the analogy, (laughs) which is extreme risk protection orders. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what uh, this does is um, allows for that to be a consideration. We're not reporting HIPAA data to any 
state or government agency, um, mm-hmm. but just recognizing that um, folks with mental health do own guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is an extreme risk protection order, what is the unified procedure for someone to get their gun back Mm -hmm. um, if that is the the ultimate decision. I think what's really interesting, um, because so often whenever we see a mass shooting, we're like, oh, there must be mental health issues uh, with with the person, because many of us can't fathom how that could ever be. And I I can't speak to whether um, those those gun persons, uh, I think they've all been men, so I think I can say gunmen, um, were were actually under uh, or had mental health issues. But um, what the data is showing is that people who have mental health challenges are actually more likely to be victims mm-hmm. of uh, gun violence than perpetrators of gun violence. Um, and even in terms of mental health, what the data shows, particularly around gun suicide, because I know that's another concern that comes up often for, for folks, is that um, it's most frequently seen in white men. Um, however, gun suicides have increased uh, for black people by about 73% oh, wow. from 1991 to 2017. And so this shows us now more than ever that we do need better access mm. to mental health supports in our communities um, and that we do need to have mental health experts mm. <laughs> involved in, in the gun violence prevention for sure. Right. Brian, I would mm. love for you to kind of take this from here and talk a little bit um, about um, what she sort of um, started, um, but more deeply, like what needs to be considered Mm -hmm. from a mental health perspective when writing a law like this um, that policymakers need to take into consideration? Yeah, this is tough. Uh, This is a tough kind of thing to do because ultimately, you're absolutely right. You know, when we look at the hierarchy of uh, people in, who commit suicide, usually it's white males first, right? And I think even a couple of years ago, we found that white male suicides alone brought down the age, um, brought down life expectancy. Mm. And then black males were next. So there's obviously a challenge with just, and then men are more likely to commit mass shootings. Mm-hmm. So there is something going on. There's some kind of component there. Now, whether or not it's mostly tied to mental health, somewhat tied to mental health, it's kind of hard to say, right? Because, you know, when we look at the picture of this and when we look at shootings, what's the diagnosis of a person who shoots someone? Is it depression? Well, people are not, people are less likely to kill when they're depressed. They're more likely to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have instances of we have death by suicide, um, by cop suicide or something like that. But the data mostly shows that where, you know, people are more likely to kill themselves than other people. Then if we want to talk about things like psychosis or paranoia or higher order types of mental health disorders, then we have medical training, teachings to help us to treat those things. Mm -hmm. So and then I would be kind of remiss to kind of go into that notion of we have to monitor people's mental health because, you know, if you go to a therapist, you're going to get a diagnosis. If you go to a hospital, you're going to get a diagnosis. So kind of doing those, kind of adding that component, I think, is it's a little bit of a slippery slope 
because we're trying to do that. I know we're trying to do everything we can to prevent these kind of things from happening, but I think sometimes we do have to look at criminality mm-hmm. um, and really try to understand the mechanisms of what the criminal mind would think and do versus the mental illness mind. Mm-hmm. Because the mental illness mind may be something, is, is something completely different. A mm-hmm. person that doesn't that wants to commit crimes are gonna commit crimes for whatever specific reason, whether it's poverty, whether it's um, some, some other reason, there's, always, there's gonna be something else there. But I think if we were to put some kind of, um, enact something in place and try to look at the notion of mental health, I think we need to talk about certain things like, you know, their propensity for antisocial behavior, mm-hmm. especially things like when we look at personality traits of of criminals in general, we can see things like an impulsivity, tr- troubles with impulsivity, higher levels of uh, negativism and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we need to look more in those areas sometimes rather than, oh, this person was depressed, so of course they would do this. Oh, this person was mentally ill is the political, you know, I know a lot of politicians like to throw, oh, they were just mentally ill. But I would have to get into like, well, what's the diagnosis? Mm-hmm. How did we diagnose that person to say that they were mentally ill? Um, so I, I, so those are kind of, kind of uh, brief things that I would say about it. Um, I think we would have to look more into what that actually means, why that person would do that. Because right. even when we look at mass shootings, what do you normally see with mass shootings? People have manifestos, right? Mm-hmm. They, they leave their dying manifesto, and usually it's something, I was bullied, or I was... While we can talk about that as complex trauma, that's not necessarily a diagnosable disorder. Complex mm-hmm. trauma is not diagnosable. That's why the ACEs were so popular and still remain popular to understand trauma as a ongoing thing. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so I, I think some of those other traits, too, would need to be considered. Oh, that's first. great. Well, thank you for making that distinction and mm-hmm. putting these things out, yeah. actually. Because I wasn't thinking about, like, you know, the, the criminal mind versus the, the, the mental mind, to be quite honest with you. But I sort of wanted to ask one more question. About Can I just mm-hmm. ask something for you? Course, do? Also, we don't want to criminalize those who have mental health mental issues, health, right? right? Because yeah, exactly. there's already exactly. such a yeah. stigma yeah. around it. Yeah. And then, especially in the black and brown yeah, community exactly. in particular, the stigma is very large. Then if you layer on any faith component, like, there's mm-hmm. just like, oh, Oh, Jesus will heal my life. <laughs> yeah. But he also gave you doctors. Like, right? Yeah, you know, that's, so why, that's, why we, that's, that's why people here. exist. Right. Yeah. So it's like there's just so many. We don't want to add additional stigma. You're um, absolutely in this right. Either um, related mm-hmm. to those who might have mental mental health challenges. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. But so um, as uh, this bill uh, that you talked about that's being passed around, mm-hmm. um, was there? Was it? Has there been any sort of linkage with? our last governor's mandate uh, or the law that he passed requiring um, for everyone to get a mental health assessment. Has there been any sort of linkage with this mm-hmm. new bill? I know this is a gun, a, a gun um, a bill, but has there been any sort of uh, connection between those two at all? I honestly don't know. Okay. And I would have to look into that yeah. more. Um, I can't answer that question, okay, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So we can move on to the next question then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's a lot of data um, about the whole issue of ghost guns, right? We mm-hmm. don't really know how frequently they are used. Yeah. Um, we don't really know how many people have them for obvious reasons, because yeah. we can track them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and um, the limited data is very confusing. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do uh, maybe with the actual gun 
um, Control Act itself yeah. um, that has a very ambiguous type of definition of what constitutes or what defines a firearm, right? Mm -hmm. So, however, according to John Hopkins University, there has been a steady increase in the number of ghost guns recovered um, in crime scenes um, between 2016 and 2021. Um, so I think the local law enforcement officers, and I think you kind of touched base on that a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. is also reporting this increase as well. So um, what do we need to do, especially when it seems to be happening in Massachusetts? A lot of the activities that are involved that have involved ghost guns mm -hmm. have been in black and brown communities in the state, but also in California. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we already had like a, a mass shooting involving a ghost gun in 2019 in uh, Gilroy, California. So, um, and that was an Hispanic male as well. So what do we need to do to educate these communities about um, what ghost guns are and why they're dangerous and how it is really uh, a, a problem, an issue? Okay, so I guess I'm struggling to what end. So, mm -hmm. and, here, and here's, here's why. So, law enforcement is spending a lot of time on what ghost guns are. They are very well versed in this from the federal level all the way down from the state to, to local level. So, mm -hmm. they know what it is. And they should know what they are because as they're out there enforcing the laws mm -hmm. and working to um, catch people who are breaking the laws, they should know what the techniques and, and the crimes are. Yeah. I, I don't think, um, and thankfully I have never been in this situation, um, I don't think when someone has a gun pointed at them, they're saying, is that a ghost gun or a licensed <laughs> gun, right? Like that. Yeah. Like that's not, I don't, I don't think that that's the question that's no, going that's through, through the person's mind. And so um, I, I guess I struggle with what's the need. I mean, it's always mm -hmm. good to be, to be informed, but in terms of like, actual policy or what's going to change things i don't know if that's the best use of resources to try mm -hmm, to inform yeah. folks about the, the, the ghost gun distinction mm -hmm. um if you will and it is really interesting to your earlier comments around um mental health and how is that diagnosed mm -hmm. or assessed and i personally think mm -hmm. that there's there's a bias in our media that whenever it's a white male mass shooter oh they have mental health <laughs> but then yeah. if it's a person of color mass shooter is like oh they're criminal, a criminal they're, they're criminal. evil how so like that's i want to call that out too because <laughs> mm -hmm. that's a very real thing yeah um but i i heard this from a colleague so i have not vetted this data myself mm -hmm. but that of the mass shootings that we've seen like nationally on tv that all of those were committed with licensed guns mm -hmm. serialized guns and yes. so not necessarily ghost guns mm -hmm. um unfortunately in one of the neighborhoods that I represent and that I am from and live in still, Mattapan. That's not the unfortunate part. I will rep Mattapan to the day, <laughs> to the day I die. Um, but uh, there was an unfortunate incident that happened on July 4th that was a, a mass shooting. Thankfully, nobody died. Um, mm -hmm. There were five to six people injured mm -hmm. in, in that shooting. Mm -hmm. And um, from that shooting alone, law enforcement has recovered nine ghost guns. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So they're out there. Yeah. They're definitely out there. Um, and mm -hmm. I think what I would care most about is how are we regulating them as a commonwealth? Mm -hmm. And how are we making sure that law enforcement has the resources necessary yeah. uh, to go out and, and tackle the issue and combat it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, did you want to say something, Brian? I agree. Um, I do. 
I guess I would like to see, you know, I guess I would educate parents a little bit more about talking to their kids about sure. internet use. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know, as a, as a therapist, you know, times that I've worked with children or even, you know, some of my clinicians when I supervise, they work with and they realize that we have so many parents that are not as active mm-hmm. about the internet life. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything yeah. lives. Yeah. So, you know, parents can talk to their children about what they're consuming on t- on on online. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go to a YouTube short at any time and see both advertisement for a gun, advertisement for a drug, advertisement for this, and then the shorts just keep, and they give you so much information. So really saying like, what this is, this is not a toy. And, you know, I think education around yeah. that is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a family of, you know, of gun owners from my grandma, who was a who was a marksman to my great grandpa who served in the military, like all of them, you know, and then my dad, you know, he used to shoot, too. So we've grown up in this, you know, in this kind of you know, environment where we talked about it, like, you know, and we knew about it. And my grandma would show me trophies and talk about her competitions in it. Mm -hmm. So we definitely knew about it. And I think more education, especially now monitoring consumption, Mm -hmm. because just as a test, um, preparing for this discussion, Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, let me see. I typed in three words and got a whole litany. Do you remember what they were? What was your query? You remember? I think I just tell, I think I, I just typed in ghost gun um, for sale mm. and then it just popped up yeah and I was like whoa yeah. packages <laughs> yeah. kits it told you how to do it what this screw yeah. where and so that's what was really interesting that's for me yeah. That's scary yeah. but even in the recovery ones you know in the ATF report like 95 percent of the guns are used in, in violent crimes though were stolen guns. And so, like, we're seeing that, but then these are popping up. So it is a really big issue that I think is growing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in closing, because um, oh, I know you have other places oh, to go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in closing, um, what is your call to action? What do you want Boston residents or Massachusetts residents, Ooh. I should say, uh, to do? What do you want them to do at this point? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> So many things. Um, I know that there's been some pushback on this omnibus bill because uh, legal gun owners think that it's a penalty towards them. Mm -hmm. It is not. It is uh, closing some um, existing loopholes or things that Mm -hmm. we're not considering. So, for example, when someone goes to get a um, license now, Mm -hmm. it is determined by, I think, their police police chief. Mm -hmm. And it varies. So there are some that are... um, anti-guns and will not issue any licenses and then there are others who do when we get into like there's no real system mm-hmm. <laughs> of like how do you assess yeah. <laughs> who's allowed to have a license and we've already talked about the racial bias I can only imagine if someone has their own stuff they haven't dealt with and they have the power to make this decision exactly. I think that's a problem mm-hmm. and so this omnibus bill makes it very clear and plain okay. for all like what is allowable when someone comes to you to apply for a license to carry Here, here's the checkbox if they mm-hmm. check it granted if they don't you don't. Yeah. The end, right? And that seems to make sense to me. Um, there's also a component of the bill that talks about 
Um, and it's a lengthy bill. It's 140 pages, y'all. Oh, so I'm no. just kind of like, not Get like, your reading glasses yeah, out. It's not like, oh, what, what you is... You don't have a summary of it? What is this bill? <laughs> um, so, uh, and, I, and I am not a gun owner. So yeah. I come from a, a family of, of gun owners. So my mom grew up on a farm in Alabama. So they, they hunted. So mm-hmm. hunting was a big part. My cousins, my uncle were all in the military. So they had, had firearms. Uh, apparently my mom and dad, when they were courting, would go to the range. <laughs> but I, I'm the only one that I it's died with my generation um and so I, I say that to say I don't know what it is to be to be a gun owner mm-hmm. and all the intricacies involved but um uh license to carry is good for six years mm-hmm. um this actually uh bans assault rifles mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing uh, even as a hunter I don't think you need to modify um your your rifle with a bump stock to uh get your prey at least that's my humble opinion. Um, but that that is a concern that we're hearing from the hunting community yes. uh, is about the bump stock. And here's one who agrees. Uh, <laughs> so so there, there's that. Um, the other thing, I mentioned the membership of the Gun Advisory Board that it does. There are a lot of really great things. And, of course, it helps to regulate the entire um, ghost gun industry. And mm. I think what's happening is that, you know, each side has their like own advocacy groups that are like giving them partial truths and mm-hmm. and not the and not the real thing. So while yeah. it is 140 pages, I would encourage people to actually read it. Where can um, they go to read it? You can find it at uh, malegislature.gov. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you type in the search tool HD 4420, it'll pop up. Um, because of my community and the fact that it's the blackest community and I'm vice chair of the racial equity committee, I've been reading the bill, A, to make sure that we're not um, criminalizing and causing further harm to communities that are already harmed by gun violence, but also looking at it with a racial equity mm-hmm. approach to make sure that there isn't um, anything there that could adversely impact black and brown people in particular. Mm-hmm. Um so I would say read it, familiarize yourself with it, and then reach out to your legislature and tell them why you like it, why you don't like it. Mm-hmm. The form emails, we recognize them, we acknowledge them, but to hear an email from someone who like has a perspective, so like I, like mm-hmm. I, I'm not your state rep, mm-hmm. but given your hunting background and you're like, well, this is why I do need it to be an assault weapon and need the bump stock. Like sending that personal story to your legislature to clarify might might be helpful. I don't know if it'll change things but at least they have mm-hmm. a very specific perspective mm-hmm. um, from that person and let them know what it is you like and don't like about it. Um, I also come from a upbringing where you don't get everything you want in life. Yeah. You know you know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, I feel like, and I say that, yeah. I mean, we're all laughing because we know it's true. But, it's true. but yeah. like somehow when it comes to like policy and politics, people are like, oh, if this everything. isn't 100% of what I want or agree with, then it can't happen. And I just, I've never had that as my reality right. on mm-hmm. my nearly 40 years exactly. on this earth. So like I, I also would just want to share that with folks to recognize that it's not going to be perfect. It won't get everything aligned to what mm-hmm. it is that you want. Um, but I think it is a really good measure to try to uniform some of the things that yeah. are not uniformed across the Commonwealth and also to help get against the gun, the ghost gun, mm-hmm. a challenge that we know is mm-hmm. a very real, a very real reality for us here. Right. Okay. Thank you. Oh, Did, wonderful. Well, look at yeah. That. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 I like time reading. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Brian, do you have any last words, uh, anything you want to share? Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just to kind of close, I would say, you know, people, you know, really just encourage people 
still always consider your mental health, consider where you are in life and always seeking help when you do need it. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a policy issue or not, you know, individual mental health is important and seeking that treatment is important whenever you need it. But then also I am going to be that person to say, like, please do reach out to your legislators and, you know, on different bills. One thing I've seen in different communities, communities that thrive are the ones who are knocking on their legislators door. Mm -hmm. I know you don't want a bunch of people knocking on your door, but uh, maybe you do. And and that's okay. Email them because that's how you build strong communities. And that's how you really come together as a community. Well, I just want to thank both of you for coming and sharing your time with me this morning (laughs) to talk about this most pressing issue that we have with ghost guns and in our communities. Um, So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was good. Nice to meet you, Super. Pleasure to meet you. (laughs) Thank you.